0: We welcome our snowbirds back. It's nice to have some added numbers to our morning mass. Um, Today we celebrate the feast of the Sacred Heart of Christ. And in general, just as a kind of little introduction, you can see how it's very interesting. You have passages from the Old Testament that talk about God's hearts. Well, it's really kind of, uh, in a certain sense, it's metaphorical. Uh, you know, God does not have a body, so he doesn't have a heart. Uh, the divine nature is, is non-bodily, especially when you're talking about God in, from the Old Testament perspective. But uh, I think beyond metaphor, it's also prophetic of the day when God would actually have a bodily heart, a human heart, when he would become man in Christ Jesus. And so then you see, so in Deuteronomy, you've got this reference to God's heart. It says, The Lord set his heart on you. And then in our gospel, we have Christ who says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. And in this case, of course, Christ is speaking literally because God has now become man. And he has human as well as divine love. He has a human love for all of us as well as a divine love. So this is kind of a the the general gist um, of the devotion to the Sacred Heart, along with the idea of reparation that God has done through Jesus Christ the uttermost uh, example, has performed the uttermost example of love for us by, by sending his Son to die on our behalf. And we're ungrateful. Love is not loved. And so uh, we do the communion of reparation on First Fridays to, to make up for that insult to God and his love for us, to show him some love in return. That's the general gist of this devotion. Today, though, I want to focus on uh, talking about love and talking about the heart in general. What you find in the Bible is something very interesting. The the word heart is used in two different senses in the Bible. Uh, On the one hand, it's used in a positive sense, and on the other hand, it's used in a negative sense. Okay, So I'm going to give you an example of... um, you know, a positive sense, we see it here in our scripture text today. It says God uh, set his heart on the Israelites, because that's a positive sense. Christ says, I'm humble of hearts. This is talking about heart in, in, a, in a positive sense. And uh, the Psalms speak all the time about the heart. My heart and my soul rejoice in the living God so forth and so on. St. Paul in uh, Ephesians says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you might know what is uh, the depths of the riches and the hope in God and so forth and so on. So you've got lots and lots of instances of a positive use of the word heart, but you also have some negative instances. And this is probably the most notable one in my mind. It comes from the book of Numbers. And uh, here... God is instructing the Israelites to, and this is interesting because Orthodox Jews do this to this day, he's instructing them to take their cloaks and their garments and to put these tassels on the corners of them. Okay, And the tassels, they're almost almost like rosary beads in a certain sense. They've got some knots in them. I think they've got ten knots. It's supposed to remind them of the Ten Commandments. Okay, And so God is saying here uh, in this passage in Numbers, when he commands them to do this, he says... Speak to the people of Israel and bid them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put upon the tassels of each corner a cord of blue and it shall be to you a tassel to look upon and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to go after. So he's saying, don't follow your heart. Isn't that Interesting. What do we say today? What's the biggest thing? Everybody says it today. Follow your heart, right? (laughs) So what's going on here? We've got a positive use of the word heart and a negative use of the word heart. From the Bible's perspective, the heart is the center and the core of the human person when it's used in that positive sense. Okay, It's the center and the core of the human person. We are spiritual beings. We have this inner spiritual dimension to us that involves reason and free will. Okay, so this is the most spiritual element to to us. It involves our emotions and our senses only in a secondary way. Okay. But when the Bible uses the word heart in the negative sense, for example, in this passage here in Numbers says don't follow after your heart, it's talking about heart in terms of our senses and our emotions. Alright, this is this is the outer person, this is the lesser, lower dimension of the human soul and the human person. So you've got these two different things. It's very important to make a distinction between these two things. We have to follow our heart and live from our heart and speak the truth in our heart, as the psalmist says, and love God with our heart and love our neighbor from our heart in that positive sense, meaning from the center of our being, that that part of us that incorporates our reason as well as our free will as well as then secondarily emotions and senses. Very, very important to make this distinction, but we can't follow our heart when it comes to just our emotions and our senses. You know, in the tradition, if you look, St. Thomas Aquinas is known for being one of the most intelligent saints that have ever lived. And you see paintings of him. It's very interesting. The paintings actually portray him as uh, kind of a robust man, but but coming from the center of his chest is a son, and the sun is luminous and it's shooting out rays and fire and it's powerful. There's the sun. It's coming from his, from his chest. And so it's interesting because the tradition is associating intelligence and reason with the heart. Okay? So, cause today in the modern world we think of intelligence as connected to the brain and emotions as connected to the heart. So when we say follow your heart, you automatically think, oh, you gotta just follow your emotions. Alright? That, that's, that's gonna get you in trouble. So we gotta go back, we gotta go back to a biblical and traditional concept of the heart that is, involves the reason and the conscience. And, uh, love, so now we can understand what love is. Love is willing the good of the other. Of the other. And, uh, you know, modern psychologists that talk about, they use this word if you talk about, uh, last Friday, if you remember, I talked about adultery. Okay, we were speaking about the sixth commandment, and how adultery is skyrocketed in the workplace because of men and women working together side by side in the workplace, and it's really it has led to numerous, numerous uh, problems for marriage counselors. Um, distressed couples coming in and saying, you know, my husband, my wife, whatever, has, has fallen in love with their friend at work, and um, so you you got to come to an understanding of what is true love, and. Um, Psychologists today use they use the word limerence. It's very an interesting word. Limerence. Limerence is this initial phase of uh, romantic attraction between two people. It can be used in a negative sense uh, as a, in terms of like total infatuation and a fixation. Um, and it can be used in kind of a neutral sense or positive sense as just the first initial stage of two people who are in love with each other and in any event though uh, whether it's using that neutral sense or in the negative sense limerence really idealizes the other person so it's not really loving the other you begin with an idealization of the other person oh they're so beautiful they're so perfect and you 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 kind of ignore all the negative factors that your reason might otherwise discern about the other person and you get caught up in an idea that's in your own imagination in your own senses and your own emotions it's really not loving the other person. Now that's a natural that that's a natural first stage of love. What happens is two people who act responsibly and morally towards each other and they're both free to marry, as they get to know each other, little by little that idealization starts to actually fall apart and they begin to truly love the other person, not just the idea that they have of the other person in their minds. Sometimes that doesn't that doesn't um, happen though. And that idealization is what's really being loved and kind of being addicted to, and they're attached to that. And that's people following their heart in the bad sense. They're just following their emotions and their imagination. So for us Christians, we have to understand to live from our heart and to love from our heart, it has to involve reason and conscience and, and free will. And uh, in, in that way, we will be uh, doing what God wills of us. When Christ says in our gospel passage, he says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. So we need to imitate Christ. We need to learn from him and follow him. And when he, on the days of his earthly ministry until this day, when he lives and he loves from his heart, it's from the center of his being. When we do that, when we involve our reason, when we truly love what's objectively right, When we truly love the other in truth, uh, we're imitating Christ. We're following him. We're, We're learning from him, as he encourages us to do in the gospel today.